Hey guys, so I just want to come by and tell you about my most recent webinar on interview preparation for the IMG. Um, it's a 60 minute webinar with additional information as to how you can make yourself sound good and create likability during an interview. You can find it at imgroadmap.com slash p slash interview prep. The link is in the description box. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. Today's guest is not an IMG, but she has tons of valuable information to share with us. I invited Dr. Arumala. She's an obstetrician gynecologist in practice in Mansfield, Texas. She does specialize in the management of pregnancy, fibroids, PCOS, sexual dysfunction, and menopause. Dr. Arumala is 2020 National Minority Quality Forums 40 Under 40. She's one of the nominees for that and recipients of that award. She's gotten so many other accolades behind her name, but I just want us to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Dr. Rumala. I'm so excited, Dr. Lum, to be on your podcast since you have graced my podcast with your presence. So I'm very excited. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for the conversation we're going to have today because I really wanted you to come on this show to just talk to us a little bit more about the doctor of osteopathic medicine pathway. Now, I know it's very, it's not much in my understanding of it. It's not much different from allopathy except for training in manipulative medicine. But I think, you know, for the most of our audience, they still have a hard time kind of piecing out the differences between both. And I wanted to invite you for a candid conversation. Are you ready for that? I am so ready. I kind of want to take a step back and talk about why I chose to go this route. Like most other people, I only knew about the MD route. And then I had a guy who, he's an internal medicine practitioner, but he does ambulatory care in DC. And I went to University of Maryland, College Park. And he was a DO and he actually took care of a lot of the senators and the senator's wives. And so he invited me to come and shadow him. So when I shadowed him, I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. And I asked him, what's the difference between him and an MD? And he said, nothing. There's no difference because when I trained, everyone that trained me is an MD. So the only difference is that I learned this additional osteopathic manipulation. I was like, you know, at that time I thought I wanted to do germs. So I'm like, I don't really need this extra. So why would I actually want to become a DO? And he said to me, I won't tell you this. The approach that we have is we take care of the entire person. We think about their soul. We think about their family, their family life. What are the barriers, access or access to care barriers that they have? Like, why are they only coming to three prenatal appointments? Is it that they don't have money to get a car? Do they, they don't have money to get transportation there? Is it because they're working three jobs? So we think about all of those things. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting because I think about all those things and so I went first and I got a master's in public health. 
of Masters of Public Health. And while I was there, I applied to both MD schools and DO schools, got into all of them, got full scholarships to four out of the seven I applied to. Two of them were, actually three of them were MD, one of them was DO. And I'll tell you, my final decision was because that was the only scholarship school that I got in the Northeast. The rest of them were in the South where I did my Master of Public Health and I went there by default. But when I got there, I realized it was so perfect for me because the way that I practice medicine is the same way that he described. I take into account the entire osteopathic philosophy when I take care of my patients. I take into account, well, why is this patient really having anxiety during her pregnancy? Well, she's having anxiety because she lost two previous pregnancies. That makes a lot of sense. So let's her get her help and I can talk to her in that sense. So it's very individualized. It takes into account a lot of different things. But I will say this, like my mentor, I probably think about 98% of my training has been from MDs. It's just that the osteopathic philosophy has been imbibed into me. So I add that to my traditional training. I definitely agree with, you know, a more holistic approach. When I was in residency, we actually had, so my residency, my residency program was very different. It was what, what they call the two-in-one track. So you spend some time in an academic center and some time at a rural hospital. And at the rural hospital, we had an osteopathic residency at the same site. And so even though I was with an allopathic program from the University of Kentucky rural track, I did my co-residents, some of them were from the osteopathic track. And there really wasn't much difference. In my opinion, I didn't really, I couldn't tell the difference, honestly, because we were trained by the same faculty. Like you mentioned, most of the faculty, of course, were voluntary faculty for UK, which is allopathic. But then we also had, you know, overlap with osteopathic attendings, especially inpatient. But there wasn't a difference. It wasn't like we were walking around saying, oh, no, I'm the osteopathic and you're the MD. It was just... I, what rotation are we on this month? Okay, so we're going to do. And that was it. Now, I actually remember one of my colleagues doing an osteopathic maneuver on my back when I started to have some back pain. And that's actually, that was truly the only thing that I, you know, it was sort of like an enlightening moment to have that done because I was like, oh, wow. You know, I wish we actually learned a little bit more about this because MSK is huge, especially for primary care specialties. And so learning manipulation um, for chronic pain and so many other places where it's applied, I think it actually adds to the experience of being a physician, in, in my opinion. So I definitely agree with that point. So tell us about your residency training. So, you know, you eventually graduated from Rowan University, is that right, in New Jersey? Yes. It's a kind of interesting because I went in there as University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. And by the time I graduated, they changed the name, which really pissed half of us off. But um, they changed it to Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine. So that's where I graduated from. It was an exceptional experience. When we went, one of the differences is that we also have our own licensing exams that are different from USMLE. So we do Comlex 1, 2, 3. We have a PE, which is a physical exam that is the same as the clinical skills. And so you were, I did all eight exams, all eight exams. And that's because I did not want anyone to kind of tell me I was less than, 
because one of the things that I think osteopathic physicians and IMGs have in common is there is a discrepancy that allows someone else to put a value on you. And I did not want that. I wanted to prove that I was as competent as any other student. And I, I was, when I was interviewing for residency, I only interviewed for allopathic programs. I did not interview for any osteopathic programs. And the reason why is at that time, I thought I wanted to do reproductive endocrinology and infertility, which is an REI specialty. And I just knew that we didn't have, no osteopathic program had their own fellowship. So I wanted to give myself all the options. So when I applied, it was really interesting because one particular school, which is the Ivy League school, and I couldn't believe my wildest dreams that I got an interview there. They looked at my resume and they said, well, your MCAT scores, which I don't know why they were looking at my MCAT scores. I was already done with medical school. Your MCAT scores were phenomenal. Why did you go to osteopathic school instead of medical school? Oh, that pissed me off. Because I said to myself, this was probably a harder track that I did than what other people did that were my peers because that were in allopathic programs because they didn't have to think about taking eight exams. Right. Taking, you know, complex five days, seven days after taking USMLE, having to, and the exams would seem similar, but they're actually really vastly different. Our complex exams are more clinical and less analytical. And so it's a very interesting exam. So having to try to study for two exams at the same time, do well on both so you don't burn out, it was a really interesting journey that we took. And it made me very resilient as a physician and as a person. And I think that most osteopathic physicians that did both will tell you the same. So I went to, like, I, I went to Georgetown University for my residency training. And unfortunately for me, which I always corrected them, I was always labeled as MD. And that really pissed me off because I felt like I, I earned my badge of a DO. I'm actually a really extraordinarily proud DO because I didn't go to a DO program because I wasn't a good MD candidate, which a lot of people assume that's what happens. It actually isn't. The MCAT score of my program is actually very, very high. So it kind of doesn't make any sense. But we tend to, my program actually pushed a lot of DO pride. And that's something that I go back to my medical school to talk about. So I want to also kind of pivot and say this, you know, as an IMG, if you're listening to this, don't let anyone make you feel less than. The information is there for the taking. The positions are there for the taking. One of the things that Dr. Lum and I had discussed at one point was like, did we really reach for the skies in terms of where we could have gone trained the resident or the specialties that we could have chosen? Did we really reach for the skies or did we kind of nestle into where people expected us to be? That's something I want you to consider because there is something worse than not matching. It's matching into a program that you're miserable at. So that's kind of what I want to say about that. No, I think that's a great point. That's a super, super great point. I like that you brought that up. I actually remember that conversation we had and it's so easy to get bogged down by opinion and data and whoever is collecting this data, only God knows. But it's so easy to get bogged down by, you know, this outside stuff, for lack of better words. 
which carry no merit to who you are as an individual. And I'm speaking to everybody listening that's an IMG or a DO or an MD candidate right now. Your future can be defined by yourself. Like you don't need to rely on the opinions of other people to determine your potential. That's a mistake that I made and which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about showing IMGs a way forward and helping IMGs to create whatever their definition of success is to them. Because when I was coming up as a foreign national in coming into the States as a third year medical student, what I was hearing was don't bother. And I heard that so much and I'm grateful for where I'm at. I'm really thankful, but it's something you can hear so much that you internalize and you actually don't bother. And then that becomes, you know, something that you may carry on with you for a really long time. Or sometimes you may get over it and accept where you're at. But I really want everybody who is still in the process and the journey, take pride in what you have chosen. Take pride in your path because you get to define your outcome. And don't let labels define who you are. Like Dr. Rumala said, you can choose a path and take pride in it and then actually prove your worth. Now, you said you did eight USMLE, or eight board exams. Like I can't even... I can't even wrap my head around that. Can you advise uh, listeners a little bit more about exam preparation? Because I mean, you've taken way, way too many. So I think exam taking is my superpower. And I'll tell you why. I made it a point to show off and show out at exams. So I'm not the type of person that can understand what test anxiety is because my motto was, the people who score highly on this exam have only two ears, one nose, two eyes, just like me. They're not supernatural human beings. So if they can do it, I can do it. So I'm the type of person that literally shuts down the whole world and I study. And when I tell you I study, I study. But one of the things that any exam coach I've ever had says to me is, you get it? And here's the getting it that they, under, they, they kind of ascribe to my exam technique, my exam preparation technique. You never prepare for something in a different way than it's actually tested. So USMLE is multiple choice, has several levels of thought process. So if you spend your time reading to get a foundation of knowledge, and then you say you're going to do questions at the end, you will not do well. You need to study the exam the way that it is put together. And in the process, you will gain the information. It's never the other way around, where you gain the information and then somehow do well on the exam. So a, I was an athlete most of my life, kind of still am. So I can't prepare for basketball season by running right? Running is going to make me have much better endurance. Sure. But I'll never know how to dribble. I'll never know how to uh, do a layup. I'll never know how to shoot properly. I'll never have know how to do a free throw by running. That's how you have to see exams. You always start, end, and all the way in the middle, use questions. If your exam is question-based, right now I'm studying for my oral board exams. I do mock orals to study. I get my mom to call me and go through the questions. So I have to verbally say it. 
I don't have to write it out. I don't get to type it out. I don't get to think through it. I say it because that's a very different exam. So my number one biggest pearl is one, shut everything down, concentrate, and it'll be, you'll do much better doing that for six to eight weeks than studying part-time for a year because you will burn out. Second is study the way the exam is set up. If the exam is question-based, it's much better for you to invest money in UWorld than for you to read textbooks, read review books, read first aid. You can use it as an adjunct, but your primary thing is to always study the way the exam and recreate the exam over and over and over again. So you can take away all the jitters. I used to do like, I guess my exam was scheduled for like a Wednesday, right? I I don't remember, but let's say like I used a Wednesday. Every Wednesday for like 12 weeks before the exam, I would shut it down. I would have the same breaks. I would go to the bathroom at the same time. I would do the same ritual. So on the exam day, I was not nervous, right? So that is my biggest advice to anybody that's studying for exams. And I think that I'm addicted to taking exams because even as an attending, I think I've done six certifications already and I've been an attending for two years. And so, you know, I think it's a way, it's an objective way to kind of show off, right? People are usually scared of exams, but I think that since that's going to be the rest of your life, you need to crack the code early so you don't spend the rest of your life really nervous about exams. I absolutely love that. I mean, there's nothing else I can really add to it, but the fact that critical thinking is an important component of the USMLE. And I really disagree with anyone that's focused on passive studying for an exam that requires active studying. So you're just not going to read a book. You're going to have to be engaged in critical thinking. And the only way is with active studying with questions and being more dynamic in the way that you approach the material in front of you. So that, those are really great tips. Now, I got some more questions for you before we let you go. The next thing I was going to talk to you about is OBGYN residency, because this is a point of contention amongst IMGs. They want to know, hey, what do we need to do? What do we need to, how do we present ourselves so that we're competitive enough? I know you were a part of the residency committee at your residency program. So maybe you can enlighten us a little bit from that perspective. Here's the thing. What you need to do is split up residency application into two phases. Number one, getting an interview. Number two, nailing the interview. The problem is a lot of people will never get interviews. So how do you get an interview? There's some things that you do not have as an advantage by virtue of the fact that you are not a U.S. student and you're not from an Ivy League school. So there's nothing you can do about that. What you can do is now figure out some of the, there are many programs that will not give you a interview unless you've done an acting internship there. So if you really like a program or you really want to be in a geographical region, figure that out. Because if you do an acting internship there, then some of them automatically give you an interview. Does that make sense? So like you can almost already guarantee yourself three interviews if you go there. Now, there are some people who your personality or your work ethic or 
your, and personality could be overly pushy or too passive, can preclude you from getting the spot even when you got an interview by default. So when you're going to do that acting internship, you have to find that sweet spot where you appeal to the current residents. And I always tell people to zero in on the second and the third year residents. The fourth year residents are looking for jobs. They're about to peace out. They don't really care in residency. The first year residents are still trying to find the bathroom. So the second and the third year are going to be your seniors. So you want to zero in on them and figure out how you can appeal to them. I think one of the things that U.S. medical students get, and that includes deals, that's something is they take ownership with the fact like, this is my school. That could give them the false confidence so they don't work as hard as you because you kind of feel like this is not really my school, so I've got to work hard. Now, working hard can also become really offensive. Like if you are showing up a resident, that's not helpful because you're showing that you're not a team player. So acting internships are this sweet spot and I can have a whole hour on acting internships. So I think really figuring out how to get an an interview and getting an interview is very much, you can guarantee yourself three interviews if you interview at, or sorry, if you do acting internships at places that guarantee you interviews. And the second is the interview day. So most of the time, like my program, there's a split between the faculty and the residents. You see, you know, two faculty, two residents. The faculty care about research and grades and board scores, period. They don't care about anything else because they're trying to show off that they're this, you know, nice, you know, really highly accredited competitive program. The residents don't give a crap about your scores. They give a crap about who you are and whether they would want to, they used to ask us, would you want to, I don't drink beer, but would you like to drink a beer with this person? Because you spend so much time with this person. And if a resident, here's the rule. If a resident says no, even if it's one resident, you're out. And if a resident fights for you, I mean, they can literally act like they're going to do a coup d'etat and leave if they want to. That's why I say you have to figure out how to get in with a second or third year resident. I'll tell you my story. I didn't know this till I became a resident, but two residents were like, if you don't bring her, we will leave. We will leave. We will leave this program. And they were third year residents. And till today, they're still my really good friends. But they fought tooth and nail for me to put me in the top five so that if I rank them, then I also will go there. I think that the original place I was probably going to be is like 20th. So I could or could not go there. So I think those are my tips for you. Find a way to get an interview and then knock the interview out the ballpark. Definitely love, love, love those tips. I totally agree. Likeability would take you a long way as an IMG. And the only way that you can become likable is if someone has an experience with you. And the best way to get an experience is by getting a rotation. Now, some of you would say, well, we can't get acting internships because we're IMGs, whatever. But 
we do. I know I did an exit internship. I know people that have done it. You just have to search a little bit further. You have to send out some more applications and such. But this is something that, you know, again, we can talk about this, like you said, for an hour plus. It's something that I passionately teach when I coach IMGs as well. So definitely agree with those two points. The first thing is to at least get the interview, right? That, that would be most important. All right, Dr. Rumala, we've enjoyed having you on, but we like to kind of pick your brain and know what makes you tick. I mean, you are successful in what you're doing right now. There has to be some type of mantra. There has to be something that you hold on to that you would, you know, attribute to your success. Can you share that with us? So I think that I should tell you guys this. My mom is an IMG. She was trained in Zaria in the UK and she also, you know, she, she became a resident at 51. Okay. This was a full acting physician for years. She became a physician in 1982 and went back in nine. God, that's gotta be, I don't know, 2000 or something, but she was 51 years old. So there's nothing in the world that can stop you from doing it. If a 51 year old woman with three children So I don't want, like, there are no excuses. And one of the things I should tell you is there is such a thing as an observership. So I know you guys probably know that as IMGs, but that's beside the point. And I brought my mom up to say that when I was born, she says this all the time because she, like, prayed for me and my brother for three years. And she says she, like, completely dedicated us to God, right? And, like... That might sound weird to anybody who's not Christian, but I am very, 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 very much of a Jesus lover. And so I think that that's like the, the push in my life, right? I feel like there's an there's a actual calling on my life to be there for people who look like me, who other people neglect. So I'm obviously, I'm a Nigerian woman. I'm a Nigerian American. I am first generation American, raised in America and with Nigerian roots. So I have the best of both worlds in that I understand what it is to have some kind of uh, tie to my culture. But walking around the streets in America, I'm just like every other Black woman. And so I chose my passion is to not just treat people, Again, like aligned with the osteopathic philosophy, I wanted to empower women to do whatever the heck they want to do. You don't have to do any one thing. Nobody can put you in a box. Nobody can tell you how to live your life. Nobody can tell you you can or can't do anything. In fact, when they tell you you can't do it, prove them wrong. And so that's why I told Dr. Alum, I wanted to come on this podcast because I wanted to tell you listening that you can do whatever. If you want to do radiation oncology, there are people who will get in your way and your journey might be very, very long, but you can do whatever it is that you want to do and you have to work at it. So that's what makes me tick. Absolutely love it. And I love you for coming on and sharing with us. I mean, I've, I've known you for about... Oh, a little over two years now, probably. And I know this about you. And so it's just refreshing to share that with with the audience that I have here on the IMG Roadmap podcast. But I know some folk are going to want to keep in contact with you. They're going to want to reach out. They're going to want to know what you're up to. 
Now, you are a podcaster as well on the Pretty in Pink podcast, which is a woman's guide to everything from health, wellness, relationships, and finances. And that podcast is also available, guys, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite stories. But Dr. Rumala, where can we find you on the internet? Where else can we get, how can we get in contact with you? So I have a, my brand page, which is really just me. It's whatever you, whatever you see is what you're really going to get. I'm sure Dr. Lum can say that she's met me. We've met each other. We love each other. And so that is I.am.dr.arumala. And then I also have a YouTube channel called On Medicine and Motivation. That is actually really about, I talk a lot about OBGYN, preparing for rotations, preparing for interviews, things like that. And then I have the Pretty in Pink page, which is at Pretty in Pink Pod. And then my website is www.draumala. I love, love, love to connect with people. So my job is to be a storyteller, but it's also to be an encourager. And I'm here to encourage you alongside Dr. Lum and everybody else who's rooting for you because I am rooting for you. I don't know you personally, but believe you me, I am rooting for you. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. We're rooting for you guys. So stay tuned. But this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and share with your friends and go ahead right now and check out Dr. Rumala's website. We'll have her information in the show notes as well so you can stay in contact with her and ask more questions. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Ruthie. We really appreciate your time. It was my pleasure.